Well, 245 years ago, 56 men signed the Declaration of Independence. And they were dreaming of a new nation. And part of that declaration says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. John Adams understood that dream. He was one of the men that that signed the Declaration of Independence. He was also the second president of the United States. And he also was the one that insisted that they add endowed by their creator. He was a godly man. And this is what he said after they had signed the Declaration. He said, I'm aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration. Yet through all the gloom, I can see rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that the end is worth more than all the means. What he was saying was, we're just at the beginning. We're just dreaming about this, and it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard but I can see the glory that's going to come through and it's worth everything that we will go through to make sure that this is true. Now, 188 years later, Martin Luther King said we needed to keep dreaming. In his famous speech there in Washington, D.C., he said, even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Now, neither Adams nor King were satisfied with just the dream. Adams prayed, he believed, and he pushed For a new nation. King prayed, he believed, and he pushed for a nation of equals. Why? Because they knew that the dream was only half of the equation. The dream has to be brought into reality. And I believe if you were able to ask either one of them that they would both say that half isn't good enough. And it's not good enough when it comes to our relationship with Jesus either, is it? (laughs) We're starting a new series this morning called Jesus Light. Jesus Light. Yes, it's a play on a beer commercial. (laughs) Half the calories, but full taste. But you know what? Half of Jesus is not okay. Half commitment is not okay. Half the peace is not okay. Half the healing is not okay. Half the dedication is not okay. So this morning, I just want to talk for a little bit about the things that the Lord has brought into our lives. Is it destiny or is it a daydream? Are we still dreaming or is it time for it to become destiny? Can you go along with me on that? All right. Well, just before we get into the word, I want to take a minute and 
and pray. We're about to read God's word. We're about to read something that Hebrews tells us is alive. That it separates even our soul from our spirit. And as much as I I like to laugh, and as much as as I like to, to, to goof around and make fun... I want us to have a a real reverence when we open the word that we're not just reading some words that were written on a page a few thousand years ago, but what we're really doing is we're looking into our father's book. We're going to engage the word as his children and say, Father, what would you say to us this morning? Is that okay? I'm glad it's okay because I'm going to do it anyway. Let's pray real quickly. Father, we come to you and we thank you for the word. Lord, we honor your word. We put it first place in our life. We don't allow our emotions and our feelings to be uh, more alive in us than your word. We say that your word directs us. Lord, it corrects us. Lord, and it brings life to us. And this morning, we choose to engage with your word. And as we hear it, Lord, change us. Separate the soul and the spirit. Make it alive in us. And do what you choose to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, dream or destiny. The dream is not just enough. Although the dream is good and God has a dream for us. In Philippians 1.27... It says, above all, you must, be citizen, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, we know that it is the 4th of July. We know that we are celebrating the, the freedom and the independence of our nation. But what we have to do as believers is understand We have a higher calling. Before we are citizens of America, we are citizens of heaven. And as citizens of heaven, what God says trumps. What God says is the highest. Now, that was not any kind of political thing when I said trump, okay? (laughs) What God says is higher and should mean more to us than anything else. I've been in a lot of nations. I've, got, I've gotten the privilege of, of traveling to many nations. And for all of our bumps and our bruises and our warts and, and, and some of the ugly things that happens in our nation, we live in a pretty good nation. We live in a good nation. You know how I know that? Because we're in this room right now. There were a lot of people that woke up on Sunday morning and they did not have the freedom to gather together. It was illegal what they were doing. But we live in a nation where we are free to come together. But since it's free, let's not take it for granted. Okay, so citizens of heaven. And as citizens of heaven... 
We want to just stop dreaming. The dream is good, but we, we don't want to only dream. And we want to start possessing the destiny that God has for us. And to do that, the first thing we need to do is uh, awaken a zeal for the kingdom. Awaken a zeal. The very first message that Jesus ever preached was repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand. It's near to us. Repent. The word repent. I know that sounds like a big churchy word, but what it really means is to think different, act different, get used to different, because everything is about to be different because Jesus has come and he brought heaven with him. Okay? I know sometimes we hear things like that and we're thinking, oh, some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. We get to go to heaven someday, right? Thank God for that. But, but when he was saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, he wasn't saying someday you will go there. He is saying I'm bringing it here and I'm investing it in you. So we need to have a zeal, a zealousness about us for the kingdom of heaven, for the things of heaven. In Matthew 13, starting in verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. You know, you could stop right there. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought bought it. Is the kingdom of heaven such a treasure to us? Do we treasure the things of God so much that we're willing to sell everything to get a hold of it? Now, I know that sounds preachy and churchy too, but Jesus was saying, we have to treasure these things. In other words, they're not free, they're not cheap. Does that make sense? And when I say free, God does freely give, but it's not just, hey, here's a smorgasbord. Hey, just take what you like, you know, what you don't like about God. You don't have to have, oh, I like this kind of Jesus, or I like this kind of Jesus. No, you get the whole thing. You get all of Jesus. And we need to treasure it in such a way that I'm saying, whatever is keeping me from engaging with the kingdom of heaven in the way that God has intended for it to be, I'm willing to let it go. I'm willing to let it go. Because guess what? We've all got them. We've all got places where we go, I don't know about that. Think, think about the rich young ruler. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? This man comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do? He, he asked the question, what do I need to do for, for eternal life? But what he was really asking was, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to engage with the kingdom of heaven? What do I need to do? And Jesus said, well, you know what to do. I think Jesus, Jesus was already tuning in with him. He said, you know what to do. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. 
honor your father and mother. And the man said, well, I've been doing all these since my youth. And I love the way that Mark puts it there in Mark chapter 10. It says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. He had a love for him. Jesus could see that he was, he was genuine. He wasn't just coming up going, Jesus, what do I need to do? I'm already so holy. What else could I do? But Jesus recognized that the, that the man was genuine and honest. So he looked at him. It says he loved him. And he said, go sell everything you have and come and follow me. Give up what would keep you from truly engaging with the kingdom and come and follow me. Because we know the story. It says that he, he turned around and he left sad because he had a lot of possessions. What do we possess that would keep us from truly engaging with the kingdom? That's what we need to sell so we can truly treasure the kingdom. Whatever it is. What might it be? You know, there was this, this mythical, magical time of history. It was called the 80s. And in the 80s, there was this phenomenon. It was called music. Called good music. <laughs> and there was a song. That said, I would do anything for love. I would do anything for love. I would do anything for love. But I won't do that. <laughs> Where, what, what is it in our heart that we're going, Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'll do anything in the world for you, Lord. Go love your neighbor. Won't do that. <laughs> Forgive that one that hurt you. Oh, I won't do that. Tithe. Oh, I won't do that. <laughs> Serving children's church. Mm-mm. I won't, notice how it got quieter and quieter the more I said. <laughs> That's not funny now. I won't do that. What is it that would hold us back? We need to be really, really honest and say, Lord, what is that one thing? The, the rich young ruler came up to Jesus looking for an answer, and Jesus gave him the answer. It just wasn't the answer he wanted at the moment. And a lot of times the Lord will put his finger on something in our lives, and it's not what we wanted to hear. But he's saying, this, this is what I want to do in you and through you. This, this is where I want to set you free. This is what I want you to give up. And we have to stop and say, you know what? I treasure the kingdom. I'll sell it all to buy the kingdom, to be, to have that zealousness that God wants us have. So once we have a zeal for the kingdom, then God can begin to show us our purpose in the kingdom. In Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 12, it says, the next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a way off. 
So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat of your fruit again. Now this, this story used to bother me. It used to really, really bother me. Because it says that it's too early for fruit. Yet Jesus went around and he's digging through looking for fruit. And it looked like he just got mad because there was no fruit. So because he could, because he's the son of God, it's like, no man shall ever eat from you again. That really used to bother me until I understood what was really going on. The fig tree was not what it claimed to be. I didn't recognize this. I didn't know this, that fig trees only put out leaves when they put out fruit. So the tree was saying, I'm full of fruit, but it was lying. It wasn't true. You know, the, really, the, the purpose that we are here on this planet is to be fruitful. And I'm not pointing any fingers because any finger I would point out here would have to come back towards me. I have been full of leaves and no fruit at times. And that's not the kingdom. God has called us to be full of fruit. I read this. Uh, I, I was reading someone else's uh, uh, sermon and, and I came across this story. I, I would have never come up with this story by myself because I, I, I do not plant anything. <laughs> you know, digging around in the dirt is nothing that interests me at all. Um, but this, this pastor who I was reading, he was talking about how he had planted these, these strawberry plants. And he was, he was in his garden one day, and he was kind of weeding the garden, and he said that he just began to notice that from that first plant that he had planted, that these shoots had come off, and they would go out about six inches, and then they would dig into the ground. And where they dug into the ground, more fruit would pop up. And they would just do it over and over and over again. But it was all being nourished from that first plant that he planted. Did Jesus say that he's the vine and we're the branches? Yeah, in fact, in John 15, he said, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me. And I in them. Maybe they'll produce fruit. Is that what it says? Every once in a while they'll produce fruit. If they get lucky, they'll produce fruit. No. It says those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Will. 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 Y'all don't disengage with me now because I know this is the part where we're going, uh-huh. 
Are we leaves with no figs? Are, are we in him and he's in us and we will produce fruit? Now, you take a thousand people and there's a thousand different ways to produce fruit. The way that you produce fruit is different from the way that God has called me to produce fruit. But what has God called you to do? He has given you a purpose. There's a reason that you're on this planet. Are we producing fruit? You're called to something. What is it? You know, when, when I was the youth pastor, and I know Corey could, could speak to this. I don't know about Roger, but Corey could speak to this. We see people come up through the group, and there's those times, you know, when you're, when you're 15, 16, and 17 years old, and you're just in the presence of Jesus, and you don't have any other responsibilities, and you're like, I will serve Jesus for the rest of my life. I will give him everything. I'm called to be a missionary. I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to write books. I'm called, whatever it is. Maybe I'm called to be a doctor and love people and, and help them. But I'm called to something. And all these youth are, I'm called, I'm called, I'm called, I'm called. And then they grow up. Do they still love the Lord? Absolutely. But they meet that little cutie, you know. <sighs> I get a job, have some kids, have a mortgage. And suddenly that zeal for the kingdom, suddenly that treasure that they were willing to sell it all for, and that purpose that they knew that God had called them to, it just kind of, you know, do they still love Jesus? Yeah, they still love Jesus. But now that dream has just kind of gotten pushed down. Right? Half is not good enough. The dream is great, but we have to allow the Lord to turn it into destiny. So our purpose in the kingdom will be most effective when we recognize that we are children of the kingdom. In Galatians 4, verse 4 through 7, it says that when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us. Why did God send him? To buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. <laughs> Why did God send his son? <laughs> to buy freedom. 
But let me put this out here. Just because freedom has been purchased does not mean we are living in it. Right? Freedom is there, but are we living in it? About three years ago, a lot of you know that, that, that you know, I, I, was, I was going through a, a, a difficult season, there, uh, a, a sickness that I was going through. And even in the midst of all that, the Lord was ministering to me. And there was this night uh, when I was laying in a hospital bed and God just showed up. I mean, it, 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 it was so real and so alive. I tell people that it was like being born again again because it was so you remember when you first got saved, you're just like, oh, Jesus, Jesus. If you didn't get that, I don't know if you're really saved. But, <laughs> but I'm laying in this hospital bed, and God is just speaking to me, this revelation about being his son, about being his son. And, and I just throw my hands up, and I practically begin to yell about being his son. I, I'm surprised that the nurse didn't come in. But I'm going, I'm a son, I'm a son, I'm a son. And it was so real to me. Here, three years later, I'm really talking to the Lord again. What does it mean to be a son? What does it really mean to be your child? That sounds really good on paper, right? I'm a child of God. But what does it really mean? Because you can get into this, well, God's got millions, if not billions of children. How could he ever see me? Instead of that, we have a, a, an individual, a personal relationship with him. And in this relationship, I'm the only son. You get that? In this relationship between me and him, I'm his favorite. Okay? Because it's personal. Now, in your relationship, you're his favorite. But in mine, I'm the favorite. Okay? How do we respond to God as a son? And I begin to pray about this. And it's like, Lord, I, I still feel like I'm, I'm responding as a servant or as a slave. And he goes, yeah, you are. He said, you're not responding to me as a son. You're still seeing that you have to work something up to be uh, appreciated, accepted, wanted. Instead of, I love you, you are my son. And because I know that I'm loved, then good works come out of me. Instead of trying to take good works to justify that I belong to God. Totally different. And we really see it in the, uh, in the story of the prodigal son. And I'll, I'll finish up here with this. And most of you know this story. But uh, the younger son goes to his dad and he demands that he gives him his inheritance. And, and then he, he, he goes off somewhere, probably Oklahoma or Louisiana. Yeah, and... and and just wastes his money. <laughs> just wastes his money. And then he, 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 he winds up friendless. I mean, where were all those friends that when he was, he was spending money? He's friendless and he's living in a pig pen. 
And he says, I'm going to go back to my dad. And this is what he says. But I want, I want you to understand this, that this is shame's response. Because of the shame that this young man was living in, because he had sinned, because he had blown it. And I have lived in this place. I blew it. I'm no good. So shame's response says in Luke 15, 21, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and am no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's what shame does to us. Even when I begin to some get a little glimpse that, that I'm a child of God. But we stumble and that shame comes and, and, and it's, don't look at me, God. I mean, that's the way it was in the, in the garden, wasn't it? They sinned and they tried to cover it up. Don't look at me, God. Shame said, I'm not worthy to even be called your son. But the father didn't listen to it. The father's response in verse 22. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest. Quick, quick, bring the finest. He didn't say, well, yeah, you're right. Go sit in the corner for a while. Did he? Even though he was responding through shame, there was still repentance in him because he recognized what was going on and he didn't like it. He just didn't know how to respond to the Father. And when shame gets on us, even if our heart's in the right place, we're going to respond like a slave or a servant. But the Father doesn't hear it. He didn't say, well, sit down until we fix all your problems. No, he said, quick, bring the finest, the finest. He said, robe, shoes, a ring, bring the finest. I mean, we, he, he at least could have let him suffer a little bit. It's like, well, yeah, you messed up, so I'll give you an old junkie robe. But that's not what the father does. That's not what the father said, was it? Bring the finest, bring the best, because the father wants you to have his best because when you have his best, it's not that we're just spoiled kids. It's we recognize how much he loves us and how much he has invested in us. And then there's the other side. The other side of this same coin. You have shame on one side, then you have rejection on the other. You ever notice that the enemy's always, this is what he's always dealing with. He wants to put shame on you so you'll feel rejected. And when I feel rejected, I'll wallow in the shame. Then there was the rejection of the older brother. He comes along and, and he hears everybody having a party. He says, what's going on? Hey, your brother's back. And he gets all upset about it. Verse 29 says, all these years, this is the, the, the brother talking to the dad. All these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. I've never, never said no. I've always done what you told me to do. Yet you never gave me 
yet you've never done for me. He's responding as a servant. He's, he, I mean, he said it right there. All these years, I've slaved for you. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. But the thing is, you can't work enough to deserve it. You're never going to be able to work enough to deserve it. And you will sit there and sit there and sit there saying, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Why have you never given me? Why don't I have? Why don't I have? But how did the father respond to rejection? Verse 31. He said, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. So listen to me. Until we can respond as children of God, our purpose in the kingdom is going to be twisted. Even, even our zeal for the kingdom is going to be twisted. There's a lot of people zealous for religion, and they're mean, and they're ugly, and they destroy things, and they destroy people. They're good at calling out everybody else's sin while overlooking their own. That's unbiblical, isn't it? Because we're told to confess our sins and that love covers a multitude of sin. But we'd rather call out other people's sin and go, God, cover me. God has put a dream in your heart. You're on this planet. You are alive and breathing. There is a purpose for you being here. And half isn't good enough. So don't settle for less. Don't settle for less and don't settle for the light version of Jesus. There's a missionary named Jackie Pullinger who um, many years ago in the late 60s, she sold everything and she went to Hong Kong. Young, single woman, just, just graduated from college. And she basically went as far as the money she had would take her which wound up being Hong Kong. And she went into the walled city there in Hong Kong. That's, that's where all the, uh, the, the criminals and the prostitutes and the drug dealers, where they all hang out. And for the last 50 years, she has done ministry there. And this is what she said. She said, we're going to feel really stupid for eternity if we waste this life. That's kind of straightforward, right? We're going to feel really stupid for eternity if we waste this life. But if we zealously pursue the revelation of being a child, if you've heard nothing else that I have said this morning, hear that you're a child of God. You're a child of God. And if there's anything rising up inside of you right now that said, well, you know, I'm not a very good child. Sell that and grab the kingdom. If we'll zealously pursue the revelation of being a child of God, 
we won't have to worry about a half-hearted attempt at fulfilling our kingdom purpose. Because we will do it because we are children of God. So, are there things that we're hanging on to? This is what I want to ask the Holy Spirit this morning. Are there things that we're holding on to? Are there places where we're saying, you know, I love you, Lord, but I can't do that? I want to ask the Lord to reawaken, stir up some dreams, and ask Him to start turning them into destiny. But most of all, I want to ask Him to give you a revelation that you are a child of God. If you are in a relationship with Him, you are a child of God of God. And just as, as, as we posture ourselves for prayer here, we, we want to make this very specific. I believe the Lord gave me this message. It ministered to me, but I believe it's for us, okay? Us. So we want to pray specifically. You, I could throw a general prayer out well, let's pray specifically. So to do that, I'm just going to ask you, you know, is there something in your heart, as I was talking about this, did something go, yeah, I feel like, I feel like the rich young ruler. I know, I know that there's, there's something. There's something there. And you may not even know it yet, but... You're just going, yes, Lord, I want to treasure the kingdom. And I'm going to do this real quickly. But if you feel like that, just raise your hand. Okay, you may, you may say, you know, I, I treasure the kingdom. But I'm not sure about my purpose. I'm not sure what it is that God has called me to. Or maybe there was a time, man, I was so sure I knew what, what God had called me to, but it just looks like it has slipped away. And we want to pray over those dreams that God has put in your heart. If you feel like that, raise your hand. I'm going to pray over these. And if you raise your hands on either one of those, I want you just to, to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we pray. Because you know what? My words are not magic. It's the Holy Spirit doing the work. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come in and minister to your children. Minister to the children of God in the way that only you can. We ask that you would stir up dreams. Dreams maybe you gave us when we were children. Maybe dreams that we've allowed to, to slip a, uh, away. It may be a dream that is stirring so, so heavily in us right now that we can hardly stand it. But whatever it is, Lord, we want to move it from dream and we want to move it into destiny. Lord, in us, do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, if there is something that we need to sell, if there's something that we need to let go of, if there's something we need to get away from, because that's going to allow us to treasure the kingdom of heaven and have a more zealous attitude about being bearers of fruit for the kingdom. Lord, show us and then give us the courage. Give us the courage to do it.
Lord, we intend to be who you've called us to be. And we intend to bear fruit for the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.